This is from the fifth chapter of Matthew, where Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, uh, beginning in verse 21, but also tying in to last week, verse 20, when he calls on them to have a righteousness that exceeds those uh, that of the Pharisees. And this is what he says. You have heard it said to the people long ago that anyone who commits murder is liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with a brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever says to a brother or sister, Racha, will be uh, responsible and answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says to a brother or sister, you fool, is in danger of the fires of hell. If you are making an a gift with your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. First, leave your gift in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. As Jesus sat to uh, teach on the Sermon on the Mount, I will sit this summer and share with you from this most significant passage of the Scripture. And it is even more relevant in our lives today than what we might at first recognize. If you've been attentive to the news this past week, uh, the general leading our forces and our effort in Afghanistan uh, was removed from his position because of some comments that he made uh, that became public. A few weeks before that, there was a long-time White House journalist who made some comments about Israel. And when those comments became public, she was uh, led to retire uh, before she wanted to retire. You wonder if this is sort of an overreaction. I mean, after all, these were just words from the journalist and from the general. They didn't steal anything. They didn't kill anybody. They were only words. And yet Jesus himself knew and taught about the power of words. He said, you've heard it said to the people a long time ago that whoever murders is liable to judgment. But then he goes on to say, I say, whoever's angry with a brother will be liable to judgment. And if you say to your brother or sister, you fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus obviously thought that our words were highly significant. And so you might say, well, what is Jesus doing in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, because he'll say this about six different times over the next uh, uh, um, 28 verses or so. And one of the things that scholars say is that Jesus had what was known technically as smiha, which is a, a very high form of authority that gave a rabbi um, the a privilege of, of exceeding the natural and normal interpretations of a verse uh, closer to what they believe God really had in mind. And so they say Jesus is, is leading them toward new interpretations. And that's possible. But other scholars point out that actually what Jesus is doing is very typical of the rabbis in Jesus' day. He is doing what is known as putting a hedge or a fence around the law. 
In other words, the idea is if you don't want people to break a law, then one thing you can do is keep them from getting even close to breaking the law. And so you put a, an outer boundary, a fence. So you don't want them to murder. So you say, well, don't even get angry or say an angry word. And, and that's possible. I, I understand that. When we lived in Bernie, we lived on a street that had some traffic. And we had small children, and so we didn't want the children to play in the street. So we told them not, don't leave the front yard. We told them, don't leave the front porch. We put a fence there, uh, in a sense, a metaphorically, to keep them even from the yard, which would then keep them from the street. And so some people believe that's what Jesus is doing. Because rabbis understood this principle, that sometimes small acts, of evil, small acts of willfulness can lead to bigger acts down the road. Uh, Fred Craddock puts it this way. I heard him once say, we really need to stop people from murdering other people. Because if we let people murder other people, soon they'll be stealing from other people. And if we let them murder and steal, pretty soon they'll lie to other people. And if we let folks get away with murdering, stealing and lying, eventually we'll find out they're jaywalking. And of of course, what he's doing is just reminding us that the small act of disobedience and disregard uh, for law can lead to bigger acts. Uh, consider James, the brother of Jesus. This is what James says in chapter 4. Why is it that you have fights and quarrels among yourselves? Is it not because you don't have what you want? And why don't you have what you want? Because you won't ask God. And why won't you ask God? He said, because your motivations are so selfish. So he was pushing back, in a sense, to the core of what's going on. And, and the rabbis knew that uh, sometimes behavior can be a slippery slope. And so to keep people from a murder, they address maybe one of the stages on the way to killing somebody, which is uh, angry words. And so Jesus sort of set the stage and knew that words could actually lead to actions uh, that would be detrimental to other people and detrimental to ourselves. I think Jesus is definitely doing that, and the rabbis had a tradition of doing that. But I think something else is going on. If you look carefully and listen carefully, Jesus is not just saying, be careful about your words because they, they may lead to actions. I think Jesus is saying, your words are actions. That your words can do violence to someone just as much as if you struck them with an object or with your fist. One of the things the rabbis debated during Jesus' day was, which is gossip more like? Is gossip more like murder or is it more like robbery? And the rabbinical answer was gossip is like murder. Because a robber can steal but can bring back what, what the robber has stolen from you. But once gossip has gotten out, they can't bring it back. When your reputation has been damaged, there's, there's no way to make it uh, back to the way that it was. Uh, and my friend Scott Herod told me uh, a story about a rabbi that lived in Israel uh, centuries and centuries ago. There was a couple in the village that had thought uh, that he had said something that they didn't like and didn't approve of. They had heard he had uh, said something, and so they began to badmouth him to other villagers. And then they find out, lo and behold, the rabbi never said any such thing. So they went to the rabbi and they said, we need to apologize because we found out you really didn't say that. Uh, will you accept our apology? And the rabbi's answer was, do you have a feather pillow? And they said, well, well, yeah, we do. And the rabbi said, go home. Get the feather pillow and go on top of a hill on a windy day. Cut open the feather pillows and let the feathers blow away and then come back. So they said, okay. They went home. 
uh, found uh, a feather pillow, cut it open on top of the hill. Feathers went everywhere. And they went back to the rabbi and they said, will you accept our apology now? And he said, I will, but first go and gather up all the feathers and bring them back. And you can see what he's illustrating there, that once our words go out, we can't bring them back. Once our words go to one person who tells another person, uh, there's a, a chain of events started that is beyond bringing it all back. And you can't get the, like getting the toothpaste back in the tube. It's not going to happen. In fact, the rabbi in, in Jesus' day said that publicly humiliating or insulting another person with words was tantamount to murder. And this was their reasoning. It was very interesting. They said, if you've ever looked at a corpse, and they said, what you notice about the dead body is the, the, the pale uh, uh, a color of the face that is turned. And if you ever look at the face of, a someone, who's, of someone who's been publicly insulted, who's been publicly humiliated, who has had their reputation taken from them by gossip, the rabbis argued they get the same color on their face. And so they taught in Jesus' day that you would be better off to throw yourself into a fiery furnace than to publicly insult someone and hurt their reputation because that was tantamount to killing them. Jesus obviously had this in mind. He said, whoever says to a brother or sister, you fool, is liable, he said. And and to be in danger of the fires of hell. He knows that teaching. Better to burn than to kill another person with your words. Jesus knew that words didn't just lead to action. That words were actions themselves. We live in what I think we would agree is a fairly violent culture. Uh, We see it on TV. We see it played out in the news. We see it on our children's video games. But I wonder if we ever stop to look at the correlation between the escalating violence of our words and the escalating violence in society. It is commonplace in politics to use language of of negation, to use language that puts another person down, that publicly humiliates and insults them. It is commonplace in talk shows on on the radio uh, to use language that is structured uh, and planned out to be as offensive and demeaning As possible. No wonder we've sown the wind, as the scripture says, and reap the whirlwind. Our words, with our words, we do violence to one another. And Jesus would say this is tantamount to murder. It strikes me as as very ironic that people who uh, oppose abortion for very good reasons use words against people who favor abortion in ways that Jesus would say murders those people. And so they become guilty of the very act that they are opposing. Or take the other side. People who, uh, who oppose the taking of another person's life through capital punishment, usually their assault on those who don't take their position is so very virulent, uh, is, is so um, aimed at humiliating the other person's position that they are guilty of the very thing that they are protesting. Jesus knew that our words were significant, and with our words, we could hurt one another, each other's reputation through gossip or through humiliation. So, what are we to do? What are we to do when it comes to our words? Well, um, my son and I were watching a show about monks a while back, and and you know probably the answer they had in the monasteries during the dark ages, which is just nobody talk. And if nobody ever says a word, nobody ever does violence to anybody uh, with their words. 
But I'm not really sure if, if that's the answer that Jesus had in mind. Jesus' brother James made this observation. He said, everyone, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. So certainly an important step is to measure our words and to measure uh, our sense of uh, anger in situations so that we can begin to gain appropriate control. I love what Dallas Willard says about anger. He says, you cannot do anything with anger that you can't do better without it. Anger usually does not accomplish the purposes of God. So maybe what we do is try to put a check on our anger and therefore put a check on our words. But I think the issue there is is it's pretty hard to do. Sometimes they just come out pretty quickly. And one of the things I noted in commenting on the Sermon on the Mount is uh, one of the things that's true about people of faith is we're not marked off by and defined by just what we avoid. Oh yeah, those are the people who don't murder. Well, congratulations. But there has to be more to than that, more than that. Dallas Willard puts it this way. When I fly from Los Angeles to New York, he said, and I get to New York, nobody ever congratulates me for not going to Atlanta. You know, they, or congratulations, you didn't go to Chicago. You ended up in the right place. He said, what happens is when I'm flying to New York, I miss Atlanta and Chicago by having New York as my target. And he said, sometimes if we define ourselves by, well, we're the people that don't kill other people, or we're the only people that, we're the people that don't say bad words about other people, that maybe we're missing a higher target that Jesus might have. And that target, it will become evident next week, and the weeks after that target is love. That if we aim and make it our New York City to love others to the best of our ability, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and, and strength and to love our neighbors ourselves, that's a target. And by doing that, then we don't fall into Atlanta or Chicago. But how is one to love others like that? I think the key is really this, that it's difficult for us to love others until we are fully convinced that we are loved ourselves. In other words, one of the things I've noticed about my anger and when my words are inappropriate is usually there's some sense of loss of deprivation in my life. That when I devalue another person, it's because I'm really feeling devalued myself. Greg Bear put it this way. I don't know if you remember him. He was our guest speaker uh, that uh, came a few years ago from North Carolina. uh, And the the flight was, uh, Atlanta airport was closed down. So he like drove all night and got here. I don't know if you remember, but he had an interesting illustration about this. He said, if your family was down to your last $25 and it was on the kitchen table and somebody took 20 bucks, you'd be pretty upset because you've lost a large part of what you have. He said, but if your family was down to your last $20 million and it was stacked there on the kitchen table and somebody took $20, you wouldn't even bat an eye. One of the reasons, I think, that we use words that are inappropriate to our opponents politically or from the other school or the other position is because we don't have a strong enough sense of our own value and love. We don't realize that we are loved unconditionally by God and Christ, so we are always grasping to try to hold on to whatever self-esteem we can. And if it looks like someone's grasping uh, to take it from us, we will attack them first. Jesus knew better. He knew himself as the Son of God, deeply loved by God, so he could respond to opponents and friends alike with language 
and actions that were a blessing, not an insult. I'm reminded of a funeral I did many years ago. And one of the guys that did a eulogy said this about his friend. He said, the thing about him is he never had to be on guard. He never had to watch what he said or did. Because inside he was such a good and loving and trusting person that he could, he could trust that whatever came out was, was going to be appropriate. That's the New York City that we need to get to. The Sermon on the Mount will occasionally point out Chicago, don't go there. Atlanta, don't go there. Uh, don't go to Newark. But what Jesus really had in mind was get to New York. Know that you are loved and share that love with others.